0: Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're still here near the beginning of the calendar year. It's that strange time where we've, we've adopted new resolutions, and perhaps we haven't dropped all of them yet. We're still trying to become that best version of ourselves. We're only two weeks into the new year, and um, we're in the midst of a sermon series, new year, new you, trying to you know, own up on uh, who we are and who we want to be, all that sort of stuff, and thinking about this newness, I've come to some realizations, this happens the older you get, you start to appreciate and understand the world a little better than you did before. Things are not as they ought to be. And we can listen to the, the talking heads wax poetic every night on the news telling us about what's wrong and what's right and how we just, we have all this strife in our country and we just need to reach across the aisle and all that stuff. But I think it's actually, it's more insidious. It's a little more personal. We're so, so deeply obsessed with financial gains and economic prosperity, that we've actually allowed capitalism to become our religion. Capitalism is evil. We were worship the money and the accumulation of it, so much so that the evils of capitalism, of which there are many, are just as real as the evils of militarism, the evils of racism. Did you know that as a nation, we spend more money every year on national defense than on every program of social uplift Combined, Surely, that is a sign of our imminent spiritual doom. You know, we perpetuate a culture in which one out of every three black men can expect to go to prison at some point in their life. The price that we must pay for the continued oppression of black bodies in this country is the price of our own destruction. There's so much injustice in our country, economic injustice, racial injustice, gendered injustice, and they cannot be solved unless there is a radical redistribution of political and economic power. Something has to change. And now I pause for a moment, and I wonder how you felt about everything I just said. I wonder if you agree with me. I wonder if you disagree. There's a better than good chance that at least one of the things I just said left you feeling a little uncomfortable well, this is a great moment for me to share with you that all of the things I just said are not original to me. I stole them from another preacher. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, of course, tomorrow it's a holiday. Schools and institutions, and even our church will observe the holiday named in honor of him. We will be closed because of him. It's been almost 55 years since Dr. King was assassinated. And yet I wonder what it is we remember about him. I think often we remember his I have a dream speech, a dream of of a world that has not yet come to fruition. Perhaps we remember his cool and calm demeanor during a time of such upheaval. And yet I think we forget, or perhaps we don't know, that a year before Dr. King was killed, he was widely regarded as one of the most hated men in America. There was a poll done the month before he was killed, 63% of people in this country admitted to being completely opposed to everything that he stood for. I think it's hard to remember this or even acknowledge it because today, we all love Dr. King. We erect statues in his honor. We, we enjoy having the day off. We celebrate his transformative work in documentaries and school projects. But I think we love him now because it's so much easier to love someone when they're no longer pushing our buttons. It's easy to love someone when they're no longer challenging the status quo. In short, it's easy to love a hero when they're dead. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For both John's, the Gospel writer and the Baptist, identifying Jesus as the Lamb is instrumental for who they understand this man to be. Today, we might think of Jesus as our teacher or our moral example, that that sort of thing. But for the Johns, Jesus is the lamb. And not just any lamb, but the lamb, the Passover lamb. Now today, the church is a safe and sanitary and clean space where the realities of life, and by that I mean real suffering, um, we, we try to keep him at bay. Now, we're good in our prayers, our acts prayers, to, to mention the plight of others in other places, what they're going through. We, we'll mention Ukraine, and we'll talk for, about volunteers for Family Promise, all that sort of stuff. But when it really comes to the nitty and gritty part of church, we like things to be ordinary and clean. We're not very comfortable with the mess that comes when you challenge the way things are. And of course, oddly enough, that's what the church is called to do. The church takes our overly manicured lives every week and says, listen, you're a mess. You don't want anyone to know. You don't even want to admit it to yourself. But your life is falling apart. Behold, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The church is a far cry from where we started. When God first gave specifics to the people of Israel on how to worship, it was messy. God said, build a temple, take animals, all sorts of animals of different shapes and sizes, animals like doves and bulls, and I want you to sacrifice them, slaughter them there at the altar, and I want you to take all of their blood and pour it over the altar. Can you imagine if we did that every week here at church? This is how they were told to worship. Now why? Why are they told to sacrifice? Because there is no transformation without sacrifice. Moreover, Before the people of God got to the banks of the Red Sea, before they were waiting on a miracle from the Lord to spread the waters, they had already experienced their miraculous deliverance from Egypt. God said, Take a lamb for each family, a perfect and unblemished lamb, and bleed it out completely. Before you hang it to roast, make sure that none of its bones are broken. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. This is how you will eat it, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet. Eat it quickly. I'm getting you out of Egypt, the Lord says. Take the blood from the lamb and smear it across your doorpost. That way I will know to pass over your house when I bring my swift vengeance on the people of Egypt. The Bible rated PG-13. It's not for the faint of heart. And today, even though we avoid it at all costs, we still rely on blood for our worship. Now, we don't slaughter animals every week like we once did but only because Jesus is the final sacrifice the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world there's all these connections between the Gospels and and Exodus Jesus is without sin he's innocent of the charges lobbed against him just like the Passover lamb is supposed to be clean and unblemished Jesus is uh, beaten to the point of death he's stabbed in the side shortly before his death just like the Passover lamb It's supposed to be bled out before it's hung high to roast. Jesus is hung up high, and though his bones are beaten, they are not broken, just like the lamb's bones are supposed to remain intact. Now I know that this is a lot, and that it's a little gross, perhaps obscene, frightening, gruesome, and messy. But that's what the church is all about, The church stands in such stark contrast to everything else that happens in the world, everything we want our lives to look like. We want people to think we're perfect even though we are far from it. We want everything to be nice and orderly even when our lives are tearing at the seams. Church, in different ways, is God's way of saying to us, your life is a mess, but I am here to set things right. Some of John's disciples are there when he makes this proclamation about the Lamb of God. They understand somehow that the Passover Lamb is in their midst. They leave John behind to follow Jesus. They sacrifice whatever their lives might have been to follow the Lamb of God. And of course, the life and the ministry of Jesus is neither neat nor clean. Jesus is forever spending time with messy people and their messed up lives. His ministry is among and for the last, the least, the lost, the little... And the dead. The God we worship chooses to enter into the muck and the mire and the mess of our lives, which means our discipleship is liable to get messy along the way. And yet it's still good news. It's good news because God comes to us in the brokenness of our health. God comes to us in the shipwreck of our lives. God comes to us in the worst of our mistakes. That's why the liturgy says, now hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. You see, God saves us in our messes, not from them. When John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he means it. He knows somehow the future in its present. He knows what will happen when God in the flesh arrives for people like us. We reject it. And of course, the Lamb of God has not taken away the sins of some, of the good or the cooperative, of those with perfect Sunday attendance in church. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. All of them. That's why there's this great hymn. The third verse goes, My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's true. We no longer bear our sins. But the next verse, the fourth verse of the hymn, says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Why does the Lord descend? The Lord comes to judge the living and the dead. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are redeemed by the Lamb already for free, gratis. There's nothing we have to do. It's already given to us, but there's a bit more to it as well. You notice, John doesn't say the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He doesn't say the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. It's the Lamb of God who takes. It's the present tense. Jesus is still taking our sins from us. It's why, like Dr. King, the Lord speaks words of comfort to the afflicted and words of affliction to the comfortable. It's both and. We are already set free from all of our foolishness, while at the same time we are called to live new lives based on our redemption. Jesus is the exodus for the rest of us. He delivers us from our captivity, sin, and death into a strange new world we call the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, the kingdom of God is a messy place. It's very messy. Now, I started this sermon with some quotes that I stole from Dr. King, a man who was committed to seeing and bringing about a different world. His commitment to that different world cost him his life. I think he knew that it would. Because on the night before he was killed, he delivered one of his most moving speeches. It was in Memphis. And it wasn't against Jim Crow. It wasn't in support of voting rights. He was speaking in support of a new union for sanitation workers. And at the very end of his speech, the last public words that Dr. King ever said were these. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that as a people, we will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of of the coming of the Lord. And the next day, he was dead. The Lamb of God brings a kingdom the world doesn't want. The blood of the Lamb makes a difference, and that difference means we are now different. God does not accept the way things are. God is still contending against the powers and the principalities. God will get us to the promised land. It's like God is saying to us today, Come and see everything I can do. Come and see everything we can do together. It will be messy. But change always is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.